You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> Bump, 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 bump. Was I supposed to do something? Bump, 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 bump. I don't know. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, It's Godzilla Day. Yay. Yay. We're recording this on Godzilla's 67th birthday. Dang, he old. He old. He old my dad. He's on Social Security now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He does technically have citizenship status. Your dad or Godzilla? Both. <laughs> Godzilla has citizenship sta- citizenship status in Japan and is the official ambassador of the city of Shinjuku, oh. which is a, a, a part of Tokyo. I, I assumed that. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I'm Matt. I'm Kasten. Uh, we've done this before. <laughs> you guys... It's, it's been a while. It's been a while, and it's also been a while since I've done an episode of Giganticast. The last Giganticast I did was when Annabelle came over and we watched Space Jam 2. Oh, yeah. That was a bit ago. Yeah. Bad movie? Uh, bad movie. Um, not as good as the original. Well, good is a relative term. <laughs> the original is funny. I think the original is funny. Entertaining. It's entertaining. Um, so, yeah. So, we... Um, we are, again, recording this on Godzilla's birthday, November 3rd, uh, 2021, mm-hmm. 67 years after the uh, date of the release date of the original movie in 1954, November 3rd, and um, we are about to go check out the 4K restoration at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, I didn't realize it was the 4K. We're going to see so much grain and uh, hair on the film stock, because <laughs> that's the thing. You really can only up the original yeah. stuff. So much. much. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe it will be a really nice restoration. Sorry, my TMJ is acting up. Uh, So, Kasten. Yes. This is part of your kaijucation. Yes. A term I came up with, by the way, and he think he invented it today. No, I didn't. (laughs) I never said that. Like, oh, we're going to call it your kaijucation. No, I said we're called the episode kaijucation. Or I meant to say the episode. I know you came up with the term. Got it. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Just making angry faces at her. Um, so, uh, the th- and we've talked about this a little bit on Microphore, but it turns out that um, people sometimes like me as a person, as opposed to whatever else I have going on. And um, uh, and uh, Cass and I met at a party in late 2019. Right before the pandemic. Right before the pandemic. I'd gone to Tokyo, and uh, she's a night owl, so our uh, our uh, clocks lined up. So we were we started chatting a little bit. 
She then watched one of my live streams after the pandemic started and decided, oh, he needs help. (laughs) So I hired myself. She hired herself to be my assistant. Not knowing what the term kaiju even meant until... Started. She started following my my live stream. I had to ask him, like, yeah, what is what, what is, is a kaiju? kaiju? And for those who don't know, a kaiju is an extremely nebulous term for a monster in Japanese culture. Uh, it, so the monster has to be Japanese, not necessarily, uh, but it does still have to pay its respects to. To the traditions kind of laid out by Japanese and by extension Asian culture, mm-hmm. a kaiju is something that should not be. It should not. It should not exist, or is inherently incompatible with modern human civilization. As are a lot of things, because mm-hmm. we love destroying this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to prefer a kaiju not be a naturally evolving creature. Narratively, I feel like that works better, but that's not to say that it doesn't sometimes happen. Kong is technically a naturally evolving creature, even mm-hmm. though he's not technically a gorilla. It's some hitherto unknown form of giant sentient ape. Are most kaijus like um, individual and don't have others of their species? I know there's a few that have multiples, but is it kind of a norm that... There's only one of that particular individual? Um, it's kind of a mix. You know, uh, there are very completely unique kaiju, or they're unique even among their own species. Like, it has long been established that even though Godzilla is an offshoot of some pre-existing species, there is something about him specifically that is unique. Okay. Either he's exposed to radiation, or... According to the Godzilla vs. Kong universe, he ate a fallen star. It's a whole thing. That would have smashed the planet. They mean meteorite. A meteorite. Well, falling star in the... um, Shooting star. uh, In the lore of the Iwi people that Mm -hmm. uh, Gia is part of. Yes. Yes. So, but anyway... But then there are creatures like the uh, like the Rodans. There are multiple. That's the one Rodans. that I was thinking of in my brain uh-huh. meets when I was you know asking the question. That's right. the ones that I know there's multiple of. And then, or you have the Gauss, which mm-hmm. are a bioweapon created by humans. Created by humans to endlessly self-propagate, mm-hmm. and you know. But, again, it's very nebulous, you know? Like, for example, I don't consider the monsters from Monster Hunter to be be kaiju because they are just naturally occurring creatures in their natural... But they are in their natural environment. Whereas the Rodans, even though they might be naturally occurring creatures, they are immediately in conflict with the modern world. Mm -hmm. And a a kaiju is more of a narrative device than it is a set list of rules. Okay. Anyway. So why are we doing this podcast today? We're doing this podcast because Cassian has never seen the original Godzilla, which we're going to go see here in uh, about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she's never seen it. And she doesn't tend to like older movies. You also don't tend to like movies in general. I'm more of a TV series because I, I like to get to know the characters so I know why I should give a shit about them. Whereas I like movies because I find I like the characters when they are... I like characters that are well-developed and you get to know them. But in a movie, it's uh, better to consider them as uh, narrative devices to convey a specific idea. Mm-hmm. So... 
that's uh, and and the original Godzilla has a lot of that. It, every character represents something, you know, okay. some aspect of Japanese culture, some aspect of the previous of of the war, some aspect of modern Japanese culture mm-hmm. butting up against it, some aspect of science, some aspect of political of political culture. You know, um, and um, you but like you said, you tend not to like older films. Because you didn't really grow up with older movies, mm-hmm. uh, especially stuff from the 50s. Well, the closest would come to would be like Shirley Temple movies. Yeah, you really, you have a soft spot for Shirley Temple. Well, my grandmother did, and she had like all the Shirley Temple movies, and I really liked it because that was the only older movies that showed non-white people and treated them with respect. Yeah, there was a, a lot of, um, I forget who that actor was who played next to, who played alongside Shirley Temple. But the was, tap dancing guy? Yeah, God. Yeah, that's uh, exactly I remember what seeing clips about. of that when I was younger, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know a person's feet could move that fast. And I think that there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, you know, with how older films commodify minorities and stuff. But at the same time, you know, you gotta take your, you gotta take your good where you can get it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but the original Godzilla is, uh, definitely an example of these were filmmakers who were trying to make the best movie they could, but there's going to be little things like there's a very young actress in the movie who's, this is like one of her first movies Mm -hmm. and she's not the best in it. Was she related to somebody on the the crew of some sort? No, I think she was just an up and coming young actress and they needed someone for the role. So, uh, she was, uh... Uh, there's a there's a crying track as you know because she's the the woman in the movie mm. so she winds up crying a lot although she's got reasons to cry let's be clear about that um uh they they clearly had recorded her crying at some point and then were looping it over her while oh. she's crying and it's this very like <laughs> an because, ugly cry because. And I'm sorry if that burst your ears. That was pretty <laughs> Chris, loud. Chris will run it through the processor mm. and everything. And it's just one of the facts is that, again, like, we talked about this a little bit on the live stream. <laughs> Older movies come from a tradition of theater. So everything has to be big. Yes, overacted. Everything has to be overacted. Uh, because otherwise, how are people going to know mm-hmm. what you're doing? And granted, of course, this is a lot of it is... It's a new art form at the time, especially for post-war Japan, when all these uh, filmmakers have to relearn and reinvent whole new techniques. Um, I And also, here's another big thing, and we'll probably talk about this when we watch the original King Kong, which we also have not watched, but people did, had not seen anything like this mm-hmm. up to this point. So the idea of a giant creature, of a fantasy monster... I mean, people were coming out of the theater in the original King Kong having panic attacks because they, the idea of seeing a brontosaurus or seeing yeah. a giant ape, you couldn't comprehend that. Like, they didn't have, like, cartoons with big monsters before this? Uh, well, again, the cartoons, it's flat. It's mm-hmm. 2D animated. Oh, okay, so that made a difference. Well, I mean, and even then, the original cartoon of Gertie the Dinosaur, which was, like, from 1912. Yeah, I think you showed me some clips of that. The original Gertie the Dinosaur, people didn't know what they were looking at. They were like, how did you make this? Because it looks like a moving oh. drawing. And again, I mean... One of the first pieces of film to ever be played in a theater was a film of a of a train coming at the camera. People jumped out of their seats because they <laughs> thought the train was going to hit them. 
And it's not that people were dumb. No, they just hadn't had interactions with this type of media before, didn't know what to expect. Exactly. And a lot of the same can be said for Godzilla. There's going to be, in this movie, and I don't want to spoil a whole lot for you, but there's going to be moments where Godzilla will look really kind of scary. Mm-hmm. He'll just be this big shadow in the background and just moving through the city. And then there'll be moments where it'll be close-ups of this puppet of Godzilla mm-hmm. that's kind of obviously a puppet. It's yeah. got a little nozzle in its mouth so it can spray its breath. And it's also you're also butting up against the fact that they're having to scramble to throw this movie together in maybe 3 4 months. Oh my goodness, that's uh, insane. Well, they had to make the, they had to make Godzilla. They had to make this movie as a fill-in feature because a war movie they were trying to make um in uh oh, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. They were trying to make a Toho was trying to make a war film set in Indonesia. But because there was still a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment in Indonesia at the time because of the war, they got their visas all taken away and the production got shut down. And war movies were their bread and butter at the time. So uh, famously, Tomiyuki Tanaka, the producer of the original Godzilla and almost every Godzilla movie after that, until his up until his death in the late 90s, uh, he um, basically started thinking like, why don't we do like a monster movie? Because monster movies are really big right now, especially monster movies in America. Japan had not made anything like that up to that What point. monster movies were popping in America at the same time? Well, there was King Kong, okay. but that was 1933. Uh, but King Kong had been re-released in the early 50s, or it was the late 40s. King Kong was re-released not long after, and it did even better. Mm. Because remember, at the time, if a movie wasn't playing in the theater, you couldn't see it. Yeah. So the original King Kong was re-released. Everyone was like, oh, right, monster movies. Mm. Because, at, again, at the time, back in the 30s, you couldn't just make another King Kong, even though they tried many times. Mm. Because the techniques involved with stop motion were extremely cost... Uh, cost-prohibitive. Cost-prohibitive and time-consuming. Which is why you got a lot of people just throwing people in rubber suits and putting them in front of a camera to a mixed degree of, of effectiveness. <laughs> I'll show you clips from uh, the land unknown sometime, or was it the unknown island? Some of the worst summation I've ever seen. It's just these poor guys in these dinosaur suits wandering around the desert in California, and one of them just falls over because he had a heat stroke. Oh my god. And they kept that in the movie? They kept it in the movie. Oh man. You gotta use it. You gotta use the footage. <laughs> so... Well, is uh, Godzilla, is he, is he featured a lot in this film, or is it like some others where he doesn't come into like halfway through or something? It's a slow burn. Like, he shows up relatively, well, he's hinted at relatively yeah, soon. Yeah, teasers. It's a, it's a slow, our dog, uh, my, my dog has slowly been inching her way into the studio because she is ready for a walk. Uh, so I'll try to wrap this up. So Tanaka was coming back to Japan and uh, other monster movies were getting really popular at the time, and it is thought that he was also aware of a movie that came out the same year called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, mm. which was another popular monster movie made by special effects legend Ray Harryhausen. Well, he didn't make the movie, he did the effects. Um, and it was about a giant prehistoric creature freed by an atomic test mm. going on a rampage through New York. But that's really where the similarities end. Um Godzilla, uh, the original Godzilla, Gojira, whatever you want to call it, they're basically interchangeable, um, was uh, originally intended to be, again, just a straight monster movie, just 
we're just gonna have like uh, whatever you know it was just it's just a straight monster movie we're gonna there's gonna be a love story in it you know yada 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 originally it was intended to be a giant octopus oh. uh, because uh, Eiji Tsuburaya the special effects artist he wanted to do giant octopus monster uh, but then at some point someone suggested a dinosaur would be better so um, they shifted over to this bipedal stegosaurus iguanodon tyrannosaurus hybrid. There's a whole story behind that. We're not getting into it. <laughs> the last thing I will say is the extremely important casting of Ishiro Honda as the director. I shouldn't say casting, but getting Ishiro Honda as the director was the thing that made this movie not just another monster movie. Mm. Honda was a captain in World War II. The experiences of the war deeply traumatized him. As it would anybody. Um, he became a staunch pacifist. Especially after being marched through the ruins of Hiroshima, along with the rest of his unit, when they were surrendered to the Americans. Damn. I highly recommend the Ishiro Honda biography. That's It's on Amazon. You can get it. It's got a forward by... Um, oh, shoot. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, I think, gave a forward for it. Mm. But anyway, it's a great book about Honda's uh, legacy. I've got friends who cried while reading it, because he just has such a beautiful, tragic, in a lot of ways, life. He said this movie needs to be a political statement because at the time there was also the uh uh bikini atoll experiments operation bravo uh uh castle bravo experiments which were a huge international incident uh poison fish got into the market uh Mm -hmm. it was a it was a whole thing it was it was awful go look it up it's very important to the creation of this film. Okay. And I think with that, we're going to call this one. And we'll be back in a couple of hours to do the post movie. <laughs> but for you, it'll seem like magic. Magic. The magic of editing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> you did the hair flip and everything. <laughs> I'm nothing if not a consummate entertainer. <laughs> Especially when people can't see me. Who are you consummating with? <laughs> That's probably not even the right term to use, but anyway, so it's a couple hours later. We uh, uh, we went to the movie. Mm-hmm. We we made it. <laughs> we had to deal with Austin traffic and rain, mm. but um, you know it, it wound. You know the, the way movies work. You know you get there and it's like it's already. Uh, you know it, it, it. It's like ten minutes before the movie starts. Anyway. Oh, we got there maybe less than five minutes before it started. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so it started, and um, I figure what we'll do is, in true oneofus.net fashion, is we will, uh, I will do a quick kind of rundown of the movie plot, and you can chime in if you want, mm-hmm. um, but then we'll do our our analysis uh, okay. and go back and forth on it a little bit, because I'm especially interested to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Okay, so, all right. Um, so, the plot of the film essentially begins uh, with a series of fishing boats that start uh, exploding. <laughs> fishing boats out in the in the seas. I thought only the third one was a fishing boat. The first two were like... The first one was a fishing boat. Okay. Well, just... Uh, more of a corporate one? Not like... Boats in general, in a particular area uh, south of Japan, mm-hmm. are catching on fire. 
and uh, very few survivors. Uh, and a lot, and uh, a lot of the uh, survivors are basically washing ashore on Odo Island. Which oh, should you not say spoiler alert for all this? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, That's it's a sixty-seven-year-old movie. Statue of limitations. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes ever is uh, on PennyArcade.com when uh, one of them, they're talking about uh, King Kong, and mm. one of them says, like, oh, yeah, well, Kong dies at the end. The other guy's like, dude, I was going to see the new one that Peter Jackson made. And the other guy's like, you know, I'm going to spoil King Kong. Oh, well, have you seen Passion of the Christ? Here's a spoiler. Jesus dies. <laughs> um, it's just it's just one of those things where it's like... But I get it. Godzilla is a not quite... The original Godzilla's plot is not quite as pop culture ubiquitous as, for example, say, the original King Kong. But, uh, so there are spoilers, so... Um, I was actually making a joke, but okay. No, you're right. It, you are right. So, uh, boats start catching a flame, and uh, survivors will wash ashore onto Odo Island. One survivor. One survivor from Odo Island washed ashore. I mean, there were other survivors that got picked up. Like, there were three guys that yeah, got Yeah, but pe- then that boat got sank. Because in the very next scene... Oh, the... Oh, damn. I, I never put that together. I never knew that was the same boat. Yes. Shit. <laughs> that sucks. How many times have you seen this movie? Well, you gotta remember, like, I'm paying attention to all the other little things. Mm. Sometimes little details will fly over my head, but yeah damn that sucks yeah they, that's why they were all that's why they were all kind of all the 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 naval officers every, everybody is part of the of the the coast guard and stuff mm-hmm. they were all like oh the boat sank the one with the survivors on it was one that sank that's why they were all yes. shit man yeah like what a I, I'm more like I'm more thinking like what a shit situation than I am like yeah that's what I was thinking when the scene came in is that like oh man these three three people in the ocean got rescued and in my brain immediately like that boat's gonna get sunk too and then the next scene the they come in sunk. yeah it comes in over the radio that the third boat was sunk oh man so clearly something's going on and the people of Otto Island of course they think that it's this this beast Gojira. The old man thinks that. Well, the old man thinks it. He's uh, and and it's part of their old traditions, which is why you see the uh, purification ceremony. Um, them all dancing around. Oh, I'm glad they do that instead of throwing the virgins in the ocean like they used to. Yeah, I don't think any old Japanese societies used to do that. I think that was no. A... I'm talking about in the movie. No, no, no. I know, I know. I'm just talking like. In the movie, part of their, the legend of Gojira is that, you know, we would send a maiden out on a raft, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if that's something ancient Japanese people used to do. I don't know if they necessarily practice human sacrifice I don't in that think movie. that Japanese cultures in the 50s would be considered ancient. Yeah. No, I'm talking about yes, ancient... It, shut up! <laughs> so anyway... Anyway, regardless... Um, Something clearly happened. There was a whole sequence with the storm that rolls in, and uh, and Godzilla clearly comes ashore, destroys the helicopter of the. Well, not clearly. We don't see him, but it is implied. Yes. Um, and so uh, eventually, the uh, issue is brought to the attention of Doctor Yamane, the this pre- preeminent paleontologist, and who I assume is also a cryptozoologist because he's all talking about mm-hmm. yetis in the Himalayas yeah. and stuff. And he, him and his daughter uh, go to the island to study and investigate what's With going on. With the science on. team. With the science team. It's not just the two of them. <laughs> um, 
And uh, this, of course, is also uh, relevant to um, her relationship with Ogata, who's a young naval officer, that uh, and it is eventually revealed that she and Ogata are they're dating but they're kind of dating on the dl mm-hmm. because she's engaged because she's to technically another she's technically engaged to dr sarazawa and let's just take a minute the cast in this movie is i love the cast first of all these are some of the top tier talent in japan at the time dr yamane the old paleontologist he's played by takeshi uh is it takeshi shimura but um he uh, is a famous, at the time, a famous, uh, Kurosawa actor, uh, who, which means that he was, um, he was just really, really, he was just very highly respected. And, um, he was called the greatest actor in the world by the New York Times wow. for his role in a movie called Ikuru, also mm. directed by Akira Kurosawa. Of course, the same direct, the same writer in the same newspaper, when he saw Godzilla, said, none of this film's cast can act. <laughs> then again, he was watching the American version. It's a whole thing. And there's a lot of bias towards monster okay, movies. Okay, back to the movie. Sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll backtrack on the cast more later. Uh, so, um, it is, you know, there, there's really this slow building dread of, like, them trying to figure out what Godzilla is... Then there's this... Uh, well, first proving that it exists. First and proving then it exists. trying to figure it out. Seeing he exists, bringing it to the attention of the Japanese government, and of course... Your favorite scene. My favorite scene, which we'll get to. We'll come back around to that. But there's just this... It, it's just this... Uh, uh, you know, it's this, again, it's this mounting dread of like, once Godzilla exists, the government thinks... Well, we can destroy it. We'll just hit it with depth charges. And which, of course, Dr. Yamane is not happy about. And, of course, what does that do? But it drives the creature right into Tokyo Bay. Yep. Piss it off. Throw yeah. the rocks at the hornet's nest. Well, and the thing is, is that Godzilla's not even, like, coming out of the ocean yet. He's just kind of hanging out in Tokyo Bay. And just one day, he just decides to come ashore and just wrecks the Kamada Ward where all the uh, train stations are and stuff. Um... And, you know, the military can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more back and forth between how do we stop this thing. It's really a, a disaster procedural mm. of the government system struggling to try to stop this thing. This they thing can't. that, yeah, they're unprepared for. But they have this idea that because of the government, because of the military, they can take care of anything. But they are woefully unprepared. They are just throwing up, and you throwing up barriers, the literal barriers. They build this giant electrical fence around Tokyo Bay, which, how quickly did they put that thing up? I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and I saw that some were made of metal and some of bamboo. I'm like, no, all of them would have had to made a, be, be made of bamboo in order of... to get uh, to get them up fast enough. You know, that's a really good point. Cause, um, but in order you to carry... To, you have to weld metal, whereas with bamboo you can lash it together. If, in order for, to get, for them to get 160 feet high or whatever in order to stop Godzilla... I don't know if the bamboo would have been able to support its weight that bamboo high. Bamboo is amazing building You material. are, you speak that you are in the pocket of big bamboo is what you I are. I actually 100% <laughs> am. We can replace everything with it. All right, good, good to know. <laughs> the point is, though, is that in a record time, they build these giant uh, uh, barbed wire electrical fences, which Godzilla shows back up, and of course, he just blows right through it. And that's when we first see his atomic breath. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, I mean, I'll talk about the effects later. So, 
He rampages through Tokyo, just obliterates it. And the next day, you know, people are picking up the picking up the damage. And Emiko, the daughter of Dr. Yamane, says, Oh my god, but I have this secret, though. I know what can kill Godzilla. Mm. But this is going to come at great personal cost, mm. you know. So she then reveals that her fiancé, Dr. Serizawa, has this secret weapon. It's not a weapon. It's a compound he's stumbled across while studying oxygen. And it's a compound that can... The oxygen destroyer is very nebulous as to what it actually is. Well, the way he explained it was that it breaks the oxygen apart and turns it into a liquid. And somehow that kills all organic matter. Well, it would. I guess it would. In a way, you know... And if it would have been smart, if it would have been some, it would, if it would have been the carbon destroyer, that would have been way more. Effective. Well, that would have started a chain reaction that would have just. Well, like, how has this not cha- started a chain? I'm reaction. talking about chain reaction that would just destroy all carbon in the atmosphere. That's what I'm saying. Why wouldn't the oxygen destroyer do the same thing? Only works in water, I guess. I, again, it's the 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 point of it is that it's it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for escalation in um in in warfare in like you know. Oh, I I, I saw it differently. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. Do you want to talk about that now? Wait. But tell, we'll put okay. a pin in that. So he creates the oxygen destroyer, or he had created the oxygen destroyer, and he was trying to find a way to so it could benefit mankind. So there's, he's like, this is this amazing thing. There's got to be a practical application to this. But he doesn't want to reveal it to the world because of how dangerous it is. Because he knows that there are very impractical ways to use it, and somebody will always figure out how to turn new technology into a weapon. Exactly. So, I mean, that's the, that is the impetus of it. And so, but he can't, he can't bear this secret. He has to tell someone. So he tells the person he trusts most in the world, which is Emiko. And, um... She has to break that trust. Well, I think she had a damn good reason she to do had, so. She had a damn good reason, but again, you know, it's it's a compl- a lot of emotions wrapped up in it. And um, what I appreciated, well, we'll get into the, I'm sorry, I keep getting <laughs> into the analysis mode. So through a lot of, of debate and a lot of emotional turmoil, Dr. Serizawa agrees to use the oxygen destroyer to kill Godzilla. Uh... They active. They go out to to Tokyo Bay. They activate it, but in the process, Doctor Serizawa takes his own life. Essentially, sacrifices himself to keep the world safe from the oxygen destroyer itself. Yes, he burned all of his work, and now he was basically burning himself to make sure that nobody could get that information away from him. And then, forty something years later, the oxygen destroyer actually gave birth to another monster. Oh shit! But that's a uh, that we'll talk about that later. And then Dr. Yamane ends the film with the I would say immortal line like, "If nuclear testing continues, there will be another Godzilla." And credits. And credits. <laughs> well, not credits. I mean, this is back in the day when it was like, "Movie's over, get out." Um, <laughs> well, by credits, it said the end. I'm assuming that's what the yeah, text oh, on yeah, the screen it was said like, was the end. The end. Yeah. It, it was, this was subtitles, not dubbed. Right. Um, so yeah, that is. Um, which, comment on that, 
a lot of movies I've watched that are subtitled, they too do too much text on the screen at once. This one did a great job so I could glance. There's one sentence at a time. I could glance and easily read all of it at once. And then I could watch the action again as opposed to spending the whole time reading so much text. reading and reading so and reading and reading and reading. Singular point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that as somebody who loves singular point too. So that's, um, but yeah, seriously. But so yeah, um, Cassin, what'd you think of the movie? I really liked it. I, I tried to go into it with a neutral brain, but there was still the little bitch in the back of my head that's like, <laughs> Cassin, you don't like old movies. Like, there's too much overacting. It's just, it's hard to get into the reality of it. Um, but this was, there was a few moments of over overacting. Um, but overall, I actually really liked it, and it felt way more modern to me than I thought it would have. It's a very understated movie in a lot of ways. Like, it's it's not a melodramatic movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very, um, which I'm, I love melodrama. I love overacting. I love big, bombastic old movies. Mm, Mr. Lava Lava. <laughs> Mr. Oh, bombastic! God. Oh, God, that took me a second. <laughs> oh, I'm moving past that. Um, yeah, and it is one of those things where you mentioning overacting made me hyper-focus on the acting in the film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, with the exception, with a couple of exceptions, um... Very sexist exceptions. Yeah, I'll get to that. Um, well, and then there were a couple other moments of, like, male characters who were kind of acting in these overly, in these overly dramatic, super overly dramatic fashions, mostly from a physicality perspective like mm-hmm. you know there's the opening scene uh with the uh the the sos going out and the water comes in the one guy like the way he clutches oh his my table, god it was ridiculous it was a little like i was like whoa 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 okay <laughs> uh, what are you doing man but you know again when we talked about this it all comes from theater it all comes mm-hmm. from stage acting and i think that this is a great example of Honda's direct direction style, uh, the director Ishiro Honda. Mm-hmm. He's a in all thing in all aspects of his life. He was called a straight shooter. In that don't in that he was just he 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 tried to give things a layer of believability. And uh, even when even though he went on to direct like dozens of these kaiju and science fiction films mm-hmm. for Toho, his real passion lay with. Um, lay with directing uh human interest and uh dramas uh he had wanted to make a movie about pearl divers for example for a really long time and he just wanted to make a make a drama about that what (laughs) you giggling about pearl divers no there's nothing there (laughs) actually anyway moving on No, I, w- I was very impressed with it. Um, didn't think I would be that impressed, but actually like it. Would recommend. Um, it. I liked it better than a lot of the more modern Godzillas, I think, because mm. they're so hokey. They're, they're so yeah. ridiculous and hokey, and it's so hard for me to get into it, but they did a really great job of trying to make this realistic and serious and mm-hmm. not, like, you know, poking fun at themselves. Yeah, it takes itself very seriously, because it's it is intended as a drama, it, and it, and no again 
No one in Japan had really made anything like this. I mean, there were a couple of attempts at some monster-esque movies like that. There was a, a couple of King Kong knockoffs, like King Kong appears in Edo um, in ancient Japan, mm-hmm. in ancient Tokyo kind of things. Or uh, And there was a movie called The Great Buddha Arrival or something. It was about a giant Buddha statue that comes to life and like walks across Japan. They kind of remade it recently. It's a it's, There's a whole story there. <laughs> Um, uh, I was uh, really impressed by the the miniatures, specifically the water and nature they did. Because there was one scene that mm-hmm. asked Matt, I was like, did they just wait for a storm? Because it, it looks so realistic mm-hmm. that it fooled me. And I'm, I'm really hard to fool with shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, but with some of the, the vehicles and stuff, yeah. it, you, you could tell. You can tell. And... And, it, and I mean, it's like, you know, later on, once color comes into the picture, literally, with the later Godzilla movies, they sort of leaned into the miniature aspect of it, and they're like, well, you know, the miniature's kind of part of why you're here. It's mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a toy box aesthetic to it that gives it an extra layer of fun. But with this, it's very clear that they're trying to make it as realistic yeah. as possible. And yeah, I mean, even as a kid, I was really fooled that... Uh, uh, I was fooled by that early sequence with the storm and everything uh, because it's all miniatures. I think mm-hmm. there's one shot that's like from an actual storm. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the tree, the trees. Yeah. The, begin- the two tree. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what one. Cause that one is what, okay, this is real. And then when they went from that to the ocean smashing on the rocky shore, my brand thought the previous scene real, the mm-hmm. next scene, obviously real. And I kept watching throughout the movie all of the water scenes like that, and all of those looked very realistic, except for the 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 bubbling water when mm-hmm. the ships were going down. Bubbling water looked great. The ships, eh. they're kind of obviously yeah. They model didn't they bubbles. didn't move quite right, and they didn't pay any attention to physics because if you have bubbles go under a ship like that, it's going to change the buoyancy factor, and the ship will immediately sink. Which is why they think the Bermuda Triangle. There's some gas pockets that release, and that's why ships sink. I mean, it's a. I, I mean, that, that is fascinating, and you also have to remember that. I mean, these are a bunch of these are a bunch of filmmakers and special effects technicians who have never done something. Are they? They have done stuff like this in like war movies and stuff, but on a limited time and a limited limited budget, it's Did you not say like you three can, months they had to have this done. It was maybe not three months, but it was a short time frame. I want to say it was at the most six to eight months, like. Barely a year to do all this shit. That's insane. And that's why you get things like uh, two million years ago is when the <laughs> Jurassic period was, because no one's gonna no one's gonna take the time to go look that up. They got to is go it, to the library. It, it, I guess it's one of those things where we all think you know common knowledge. Everybody knows you know that sixty five million years ago is when the meteor hit. In the Yucatan Peninsula, and so dinosaurs before that, and so at least sixty-five million. It's years. just at the time it just wasn't common knowledge. In fact, the meteor theory hadn't even been presented yet at the time. Oh, that's a very good yeah. point. A lot of people just assumed dinosaurs slowly died out because of the ice age, or so. Or no, it was because they got too big. That was one of the theories: is oh, that dinosaurs my. got too big and they literally couldn't walk anymore. It just was a. There were a lot of different shit being yeah. thrown around at the time. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so yeah, uh, the the miniatures they're really good at doing storms. Uh there are later Godzilla movies. Um there's a, a sequence in the uh in Mothra versus Godzilla in nineteen sixty four, which is ten years after this one, it opens with this whole typhoon sequence and it's very dramatic and it looks real. Awesome. But it's all miniature. Mm-hmm. And um 
so that's always been really impressive. And it's all wind machines or it's guys like you literally waving big fans. Um, And uh, yeah, and then, you know, Godzilla himself... Godzilla himself, you can see all of the DNA of what he would eventually start to morph into, mm-hmm. all starting here, because... Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot of character, but there was just enough that it rewinding, seeing new ones first, and then going back, I can definitely see that that is the, the genetic ancestor to what I would learn would be Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. He's not really a character. He's a... Um, He's just this, he's this thing. Mm-hmm. He's this... Force oh, of nature. He's this force of nature. He's this overarching, uh, what is the word? He's he's like the specter of death. Uh, I, I, I never knew this until it was pointed out to me, I think in the commentary track on the Blu-ray. Um, great commentary track by David Callett. Uh, just excellent work. Um, so there's the guy, Masaji, who washed ashore. He was one of the ships, shipwreck survivors who washed the ashore. Only the only survivor who washed ashore on Odo Island. The only survivor, period. Oh, that's right. Because of the... Yes. Right. He was the only survivor. That is right. Thank you. That makes it more... <laughs> that reinforces my point. So he washed ashore. Um, and his he's at home with his brother and his, uh, his mom. His little brother hears Godzilla in the rain, or he thinks he hears Godzilla. So he runs out to go see, and then Godzilla appears and crushes the house with Masaji and his mom in it. See, I mean, they're used to earthquakes there, and didn't they know, you know, if there's an earthquake, get out of a structure? Like, Well, I mean, again, at the time, if it's... It's it's the the the, uh, the the house probably could have survived the swaying of an earthquake. They probably didn't expect something to fall from the sky and crush the house. I don't know. I would have. I knew as soon as that kid ran out, he's going to live and they're going to die. Well, uh, foresight. Well, oh yes. If only they had Cassim there <laughs> who could point out the plot structure as it was happening. But no, it's this idea that you can't escape Godzilla, mm-hmm. and it they also didn't even try though. They just sat on the floor and held each other waiting to die. It's dramatic. Um, well, they also, like, again, they're, if, you're, if you're that scared because there's this fucking thing. I mean, a lot of people don't do things that are rational when they're in a life or death situation. You know, I mean, a lot of people just will hunker down and hope that something will freeze go away. Up. Or they'll freeze up or whatever. And freeze he probably... Up. Yes, I, yes, I know you like Dragon Ball now. Which is awesome. <laughs> Only abridged. Only abridged. Um... So yeah, it's just um, and and I like that idea that like the specter of the atom bomb, the specter of the H bomb. Once you're touched by it, you can't escape it. Eventually, it will kill you. Mm. And like Godzilla, I don't know if that was intentional on Honda and uh, the uh, screenwriters' mm-hmm. part, but that's very potent. Um, and just and like I said, you know, the cast in the movie, I think is. Is, is really strong. You know, I talked about um, Shimura earlier. Uh, Ogata was played by Akira Takarada, uh, who is now, um, you know, he he helps with, uh, well, he's he has a company now called Japan's Legends that our buddy Tim Bean works oh. for. Uh, and, um, hi Tetsuya. <laughs> hi Maki. Um, if you guys are listening. Uh and uh well if you tag them in the post then i'm sure they will there you go uh and takarada-san actually wound up being uh one of the most one of the most frequently recurring actors in the godzilla series 
he he's been in Godzilla movies from 1954 all the way up to 2004. Like all of them, or sporadically? Uh, sporadically, he's been in a lot of them, a, a, a healthy number, and um, he was supposed to be in the 2014 Godzilla remake. He had a filmed cameo and everything, and they wound up cutting it, which sucks. Cause it's just a big middle finger to someone who started the genre. I know it's 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 a it's a big sore point in the in the in the franchise um, in in the fandom. It's a really big sore point. Did they at least include it in like special features or something? No, it hasn't even been any special features. People are that's cl- even worse. That's people a double are, middle finger. People are clamoring for this just this one scene. He's like a, he's like a customs official. He's like he checks the main character's cust- uh, like passport. Yeah. It's like. Come on, guys, just give us the footage. But I don't know. It's just, it's all studio politics BS. Mm. But thank, but um, his uh, the attention being paid towards that film has raised his profile in the states a fair bit, and he's been able to go to cons mm. and stuff. And um, and you know, and like I said, he started this company where other Godzilla and kaiju movie actors are able to come to the states as well. You know, eventually they'll be able to come back. So yeah. Um, Takarada considers Godzilla to be his uh his his uh, co-classmate. <laughs> yeah, it's very he has a very warm relationship with the Godzilla franchise. Um so um uh yeah, and then uh, the actor who played Serizawa, the eye patch, mm-hmm. uh he is Akihiko Hirata. And Hirata is one of those guys who, for years, he kept showing up in other movies, and I never knew it was him, because he didn't have the eye patch. Yeah. But he is a really pretty actor. Oh, he is like man. She has this very angular face, uh, and he's just like... He's just, he's got these features that are just like, you're, he's very straight. You see him and you're like, whoa, that's a movie. That's a movie star right there. <laughs> um, he's popped up in a lot of stuff as well. Um, and uh, again, just a... Uh, you can tell that there was, early on, there was this idea of making him more like a mad scientist. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. Because, you know, someone with an eye patch, that's going to be your bad guy. That was When I first saw him on the ship, that was my first thought. Oh, yeah, when the ship was, was yeah. leaving. and then, he had the yeah. sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I see the eye patch. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be the bad guy. But we already have a bad guy, so what part is he going to play? Yeah, it turns out. And he was Godzilla's bad guy. Yeah, turns out he's this tortured soul this um this survivor from the war because uh, that's how he got the lost his eye was in the got war it. and um he's this scientist who's clearly very moody the only person who understands him is emiko and well i thought he had he had to me anyway had a closer relationship to her father like he didn't seem to have many feelings a, towards Amiko. He was he was only in one scene with Dr. Yamane. No, but they were talking with the uh she was talking um, about him and her father together. Yeah, uh, well, that's right. I think I think that that his his father probably her father probably wanted was probably very eager to have him as a son-in-law yes. because it's like, "Ooh, this brilliant scientist yes. is part of my family." That's a lot of that is subtext, I'd mm-hmm. say. I'd say that they that he and Emiko clearly had this very like 
She, I, I, they had a close relationship, but I would not categorize it as romantic. No, no, definitely. He did not look at her with any love, lust, or anything like that. Whereas she did with, I'm so bad with Asian names. What was her actual boyfriend's name? Ogata. Ogata. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, the way she looked at Ogata compared to him, just no difference. And she also said to her boyfriend that. He's basically been like a brother, a big brother to me. And so the context there of, you know, marrying a family member, nobody wants to do that. I really think that they threw that bit in so we wouldn't hate her as someone who is engaged to one person but in love with another. And they explain it as, well, she's known him so long, he's like a big brother. So that makes it awkward and that kind of gives her an out morally for it to be okay. I mean, it's... I mean, I feel like that's that is an interesting read of it. Um, I I would say yes, from a screenwriting perspective, it is one of the things that does give her make makes her more sympathetic, you know, because she is kind of cheating on this guy that she's supposed to be married to. But uh, like we talked about before, characters in movies like these really represent ideas just as much as they are characters, or sometimes even more so, mm-hmm. and so. With a character like Emiko and Ogata, these are clearly, they represent the youth of Japan who are trying to move past the war and trying to move into this new era of economic recovery. Well, and also past the idea in this, you know, context of having an arranged marriage. Yes. The arranged marriage she has with him versus the relationship of love she picked with the other guy. Yeah, and and I think that that's it's it's a fascinating subject uh, to kind of sit there and dissect. Because Although, fun fact, even if you you uh, strike out religion, arranged marriages tend to stay together way more frequently than love marriages. Interesting. And you think it's a cultural thing? No, no, no. I said if you strike religion and culture and all oh. of that, it's because it's not set up to be a romantic relationship. It's oh, so there are those expectations a, yeah, set on it's, themselves. it's set up to be a partnership. Wow. As opposed to a love match. That is fascinating. I, I, wow, I didn't. I guess I would never have considered that. Of course, in America, we're raised to consider arranged marriages as this evil, bar, very barbaric, and very like oh, those other cultures that do that. Yeah. When you know there are reasons why people and cultures do these things. Well, you it's know? you know in in a lot of the cultures, like Indian culture, um, family really matters, mm-hmm. and so you put the the families put so much work and invest time and money into these two people coming together, that if those two people fail, it costs all of them. Unlike with us, if we go through and get a divorce, yeah, it's kind of sad, but it doesn't fuck any of our families or our relationships or our political standings or our work standings or anything like that. Well, I mean, it depends. There's always going to be different well, there, stratified layers to it. But yes. I understand what you're saying. It's not this giant catastrophic thing on the same level as in mm-hmm. other cultures. But um, the actress, I, I couldn't remember her name. The actress who played Emiko uh, was, um, I just had it, uh, Momoko Kochi. Uh, uh, apparently, she really quite hated the fact that she was in Godzilla. Mostly because little kids would run up to her and go, Godzilla! And then they would run away and like kind of mock her for being in the movie or something. Oh. like. And I'm just like, that's really shitty. Although, she did eventually come back to the franchise she reprised the as the same character mm. in uh, 1995's Godzilla vs. Destroyer. So did she marry her boy toy? Uh, according to this, uh, no. She never got married to Ogata. She only had uh, nieces and nephews. 
Yeah, I, I, that, that closing scene that solidified for me, like they're not going to stay together. Yeah, and it's so it's just like it's like tragedy on top of tragedy on top of tragedy. Well, that and also having her fiance tell them, "I hope y'all two are happy together." That had to pierce her heart so much that he respected her enough to tell her the secret, even though he knew she was in love with someone else, and that shame alone would have kept them from getting together. I know it's just. And it's really sad to consider that in retrospect, because it's like, it is not a happy movie. It is not. <laughs> that's one of the things that I felt was so offensive about Godzilla 98, because everyone's celebrating after Godzilla gets killed at the end of the movie. Remember when he dies on the Brooklyn Bridge? Mm-hmm. And everyone's celebrating. I hated that scene. I, uh, well, you hated that movie in general. <laughs> but yeah, that's that was... And it's this idea, this very American idea that, well, we have to have the happy ending. We have to have this, we killed the monster and that's all that matters. Whereas this is like, no, this was a national tragedy where probably thousands of people died or at least hundreds. And in order to kill this thing, Japan had to lose one of its most brilliant young minds who uh, died and... The two people closest, the pe- the people closest he to him... He jumped back to 54, by the way. Oh, sorry. He jumped... Sorry. <laughs> uh, I jumped back to 1954. It's just... it's just it's, Again, it's tragedy on top of tragedy on top of tragedy. But it's ultimately, hopefully, hopefully in service of a greater good. In service of trying to protect any more people from having to be killed by Godzilla. Of course, a year later, they came out with Godzilla Raids again. And <laughs> everything has happened again in Osaka. Great scene in the sequel. In Godzilla Raids Again, which is the first movie Angira shows up in. Oh, Your puppy dog. My puppy friend. Um, Why did you have to kill him in singular point? He just wanted to play fetch. <laughs> Don't worry, Anguirus pops in and out of the franchise. So, um, so, uh, the fuck are they saying? So, in Godzilla Raids Again, uh, I don't think any of the cast from 54 reappears except for Dr. Yamane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a great scene because these characters are all in this, like, cabinet meeting. They're all talking about, like, oh, my God, it, you know, it's it's Godzilla again. And, you know, there's another monster and blah, 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 blah. And they turn and they say, Dr. Yamane, can you give us your opinion of this? I told it, you so. Well, no, it cuts to Dr. Yamane. Again, he's such a fucking good actor. He's sitting there and he's just, like, he's just middle distance. He's just, like, he looks like. Oh my god, it fucking happened again. Mm-hmm. It happened again. And he kind of, and he's kind of like, what? Oh, oh, right. Um, and he's got to compose himself and like, get back on that horse and mm-hmm. eat that horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and it's just like, you know, it, it just, this was back when they, these movies kind of had this consistent feeling of there was a tragedy element to them. Mm. And then by the time you get to King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962, it's a farce mm. by that point. It's a wacky comedy, which I love that stuff. And I like this so much better. We, like there's deeper meaning in it. It's not just, you know, doofy. <laughs> for the sake of being doofy. Well, and I mean, yeah. It's not about the big, huge fights. Like, the newer ones focus way too much on that. That's boring to me. You've never been about the fights. I don't like violence. And that's why we need to watch Shin Godzilla next, I think. Because Shin Godzilla is like... Does a pretty good job of recapturing that vibe. Mm-hmm. Of like, this is a disaster unfolding. It doesn't quite have the humanistic 
Element. Element, but it's still really good, mm-hmm. I think. It does lean a little conservative as far as its politics go, and I mean, like, from a government, military perspective. Not a... Um, not a sociological perspective. Although, oftentimes, those things go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um... And I'm not an expert. I don't. I'm not from Japan, so I wouldn't. I don't know. Leave me alone. But um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else we want to talk about, but we've been blathering for. I've been blathering. There was something I was going to say. You wanted me to wait. What was it? Um, oh, the the favorite scene, or is it the sexism? I mean, there's a couple of different things. Uh, well, sexism. I mean, that's that's obvious. I think it was something about the auction destroyer. What was it? Hmm. I mean, I know that... Something. I mean, I have to go back and listen to the beginning of this to remind myself. I should have wrote it down. Well, there was one part that, um... Oh, okay, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm, I want to boomerang around to the uh, sequence in the government building first. Okay. Oh, it's yeah, my, your favorite scene. My favorite scene in the movie, which is when it gets revealed, and Dr. Yamane is like, this creature has been brought back by H-bomb tests. And the first thing that happens is... The old stuffy conservatives, the old stuffy men, are like, well, we need to handle this very carefully. This should not be made public. The international situation is very tenuous right now. It's very shaky right now. He's making vague allusions. They're all making vague allusions to the Operation Bravo, uh, the Castle Bravo experiments. Mm Then there's this woman. Oh, I love her so much. So wearing all white, very modern, very western looking outfit. Kind of young, middle aged. Yeah, kind of middle aged. And she's just like, well, that's why we need to make the truth is the truth. That's why we need to make this public. Very passionate. And he's just like, you know, shut up. And just like, you know, and then she's just like, well, you're an idiot. And you all, I never did. Like, you need to apologize. And they all start yelling at each other. And. And I love that it cuts back over to Dr. Yamane and the people from Odo Island and the other scientists. And Yamane just kind of goes, like, you know, Pollux are getting in the way of yeah. what we, like, you would think that Dr. Yamane would probably agree with um, the, the, the young woman. Mm-hmm. But still, just that, just this explosion of, of screaming and infighting and stuff. And it's that kind of, oh God, we're doomed you know, moment. I, I, yeah, that's my favorite scene in the movie. It, it, I, I, she was definitely the strongest woman. She went toe to toe with him. She did not kowtow at all, and I, I really love that fact. Um, and it, it's a mirror of so many other governments. Of you know, people are too dumb to learn the truth <laughs> without panicking like a pack of wild animals or something. I mean, I get, I, I don't, I don't completely disagree with what the guy was saying about, about the idea of the H-bomb being a political hot potato. No, no, no. I was talking about when, when they were, the idea of them suppressing that Godzilla exists. That's okay. what I was specifically talking about. Or at least. Is that we shouldn't tell the people because they're going to freak out. And she was like, oh, we absolutely have to tell the people. Okay, well that, yeah. I was more thinking about that he was trying to suppress uh, God's... What caused it. What caused it. Because, I mean, you're not going to be able to hide a giant lizard for very long. Um, I remembered what you were talking about. We were talking about what the Oxygen Destroyer represented. Oh, yes. So, mm-hmm. say the thing again that you thought it represented. I thought it represented the escalation of, of warfare. Of uh, A-bomb versus A-bomb, H-bomb versus H-bomb, Oxygen Destroyer versus Oxygen Destroyer. Because that's what Dr. Servizawa says in 
his his line. Mm-hmm. But you had an alternate take on that. Yeah, my alternate take is probably why he chose oxygen over any other element on the table because we need that to live. Mm. And use in using this weapon that literally kills the stuff we need to survive. I think that is 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 very strong symbolism. Hmm. Like I said, he could have you know chosen carbon or something, but not everybody knows we're made of carbon. Like yeah, it's a but it's oxygen. A, everybody knows we need oxygen to breathe. It is true. I remember. Sorry, go ahead and finish. Oh, no, no, there was a line from Gamera 2 uh, from the 90s movies where uh, the, the, the Legion bug, the alien mm-hmm. bugs, they create an excessive amount of oxygen and it becomes, and they they stop the movie to basically say, too much oxygen is super deadly. It can be, we need it to live, but too much of it, but you were saying. That... Um, it's, it's just very symbolic of the same thing you were saying, building on what you were saying of getting bigger and bigger bombs with the outcome being, we are destroying ourselves. It's the ultimate end point. Uh, Although, you know, there is of course the argument that the, um, atom bombs destroy atoms themselves. In fact, it wasn't, I think there was a pool going with the, uh, scientists who were creating the atom bomb there was a pool going for when they first tested it whether or not it was just going to ignite the atmosphere and kill everyone yeah yeah i just they remember were only half joking but I, I remember just thinking like oh good 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 <laughs> i needed that kind of anxiety in my life uh so yeah i just it's a it's almost like it's a good movie it is yeah i yeah there's one other thing that i kept learning to, but uh i i would give it an eight out of ten whole eight yeah mm. i mean i i think it's a that's very generous for you <laughs> yeah uh i'm gonna get i mean i i mean it's it, the science is settled for me i mean it's like a even if it's not a perfect film no movie is perfect yeah. obviously but even if it even if it has the flaws that it does and even if some aspects of it don't age super well it sits in this very important place culturally and historically so it's like a it's like a nine point five or a ten out of ten for me. If it was a book, because uh, the reason it holds me back is just some of the the little bit of the overacting, the sexism bit, and some of the miniatures really not you know they're so refining their craft. Yeah, but if it was written in a book and I read that book, I'd probably give it a nine or a ten out of ten because mm. the 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 base story of it. The whole allegory of it, I really liked, and I think it had a really good, strong message. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I was, I was really worried that my assistant was going to be like, yeah, it was fine. And I'm sure I didn't make you worry anymore when we got into the car after the movie, and I'm like, Matt, we, we can't talk about this. We got to wait until we can do it on the stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I knew that during the movie, uh, you seemed like you were genuinely. Uh, uh, genuinely interested. Except for that guy sitting next to us eating popcorn with his mouth Man, open. Man, it was like listening to a horse. <gasps> a uh, horse walking on bubble wrap. God, yeah. And he was doing it double-handed a couple times. And he's like... Uh, yeah, you people like that. You like your ASMR podcast? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, we'll have to watch Shin Godzilla. We'll have to watch... Um, the original Rodan is kind of like this it's mm-hmm. a it's a slow disaster procedural um so yeah we'll uh we'll give some of the more serious movies a shot because here i am thinking like no i need to throw a lot of colors in front of her in order no, to I, entertain I definitely her. definitely stick to the serious ones all righty well i've got a new sign off for you folks thanks for listening to the gigantic cast 
all of that shit was in our brains. And now, now it's, it's in, in yours. yours.